0: This week, we introduced Evan to a new hair product, and then we made him watch There's Something About Mary. Welcome back to How Did You Miss This? A
1: show where we watch, uh, I guess, important films that uh, some of us missed the first time around. I'm Evan Toller hickey With me, as always, Michael Hansen and Chris Shane. And today, we're going to be discussing 1998's massive comedy blockbuster juggernaut there is something about mary this was one of the highest grossing if not the highest grossing comedy of the late 90s uh it really sort of uh, solidified cameron diaz as the 90s it girl it launched ben stiller into a leading man role uh, am i the only person who uh who missed this movie
0: yes Yes, it was all of you. Uh, I I I saw this movie a bunch um, around the time that it came out, and shortly thereafter, I was a um, I was a big fan of this movie in the late '90s and early 2000s. Uh, but I I haven't seen it in quite a while, so I was going to be very interested to see what what you thought about it after um, you know not having ever seen it, which seems somehow amazing, considering it was, like you were saying, such a big success and one of the biggest comedies out there.
2: Yeah, this is another one for me that I watched exactly once. And I, we, I think we rented it uh, when it first came out. So I have a very specific view of it in terms of my recollection. And coming back to to revisit it, I'm I'm going to throw out all of my original things and, and I have a, a very different perspective of it now, so... This is going to be a great one to talk about.
1: Yeah, I am really interested in talking about this movie that you made me watch, Chris. Um, but uh, first, I mean, let's talk a little bit about how this movie came to be. So, this was shot in Miami pretty much, uh, $23 million budget. This goes on to make like $369, 370000000 million at the global box office that year. This is – I mean, that's a crazy return on investment. This was an out-and-out out blockbuster comedy. And, uh, and I, I feel like it was one of those comedies that really solidified that idea of like um, – uh, that genre of gross-out comedy that we saw a lot of in the late 90s with this movie, the American Pie movies, um, you know, even to some extent like the South Park movie, I, I would put in that category as well. Um, and it, opening up in some really a auspicious company. I mean, it it opens in mid-July 1998, around the same time as uh, Lethal Weapon 4, uh, Mask of Zorro, uh, but really like the the big movie coming out that summer, um, Saving Private Ryan. I think I saw all three of those movies in theaters and yet completely- Completely missed this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think this is one of those um, movies that I felt like every. Buddy I had seen or knew had seen. And, and I think it partly builds off of two, that this is the, the Fairley brothers coming off of, uh, Kingpin and dumb and dumber, which was, uh, another big success for, for them and kind of, you know, moving them up to the next level, which was, uh, this movie. And, and they'd done a lot of, um, self-production to get their, their movies going. Um, this, this was really a big stepping stone for them getting a little bit more, um, well-known people kind of actively willing to participate in their movies. Somebody like Cameron Diaz, who was coming off uh, My Best Friend's Wedding in 97. Um, like, you know, to your point, she was already uh, there or about to become the 90s It Girl. Uh, and this this movie was, um, I mean, to your point, it's it's part of the 90s gross out comedies. But I also think this is some of the uh, predecessor work that became kind of like what judd apatow and his crew uh was getting into by the you know early to mid 2000s with you know 40 year old virgin and uh you know kind of building off of there i feel like maybe um this is one of those stepping stones and you know then the torch gets passed a few years later after the Fairley brothers do some less successful movies like um Uh, what is it, me and Irene or whatever it is, like a couple of those other ones that people haven't seen as much and aren't as well appreciated. So this is probably the pinnacle of uh, their you know, comedic run through the mid to late 90s. Um, and then they kind of disappear off the scene for quite a while after that. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes. But I think the interesting part is, uh, to your point, Evan, this is not just a, a blockbuster success. Uh, I mean, to your, you were kind of saying earlier, this is one of the top uh, 20 or 25 uh, grossing comedies of all time. But the, the reception when it came out was like, huge, like amazingly well-received movie. Uh, everybody kind of recognizes that it is, um, you know, pushing the, the per- political correctness buttons in all the wrong places, but just in the right ways at the time. Uh, a lot of, uh, strong reception from re- reviewers and showing up on, you know, top movies of the year, uh, kind of lists across the board has a rotten tomato score of 84%. Uh, still, uh, and I'm, I'm curious, uh, maybe we'll start with Michael. Michael, how do you feel revisiting this movie?
2: So I, I think this movie is an excellent example of something that was super important in pushing a genre forward, but it's not good by today's standards. So I, I was amazed to see how differently I felt about it. I remember it being exactly the words that you described, um, super well received it was just it was new in every important way and i just loved it at the time now that i watched it i had a really hard time going through the entire thing partly because there's a, so much stuff that doesn't age well in terms of political correctness and, and norms but secondly also it's interesting the apatow reference i think that the people who came after and started to take this in different directions they also had a real cleverness to it like there's a intelligence built into it combined with this that i think Uh, where it's gone since but it wouldn't have happened without this movie necessarily so from that perspective like i can i can appreciate it for that it was just i I got very few uh, moments of enjoyment watching this when i have to i have to be honest
0: how about you evan how was it uh as a first time viewer i did not care for this movie at all i
1: i i this movie made me sad and angry I, I did. Is this a comedy? This is, oh my God. Um, did I like this movie? No, not one bit. Um, and I, I think that to Michael's point, it is a really interesting, uh, it's really interesting to watch comedy, um, from the past because comedy in particular, um, you know, requires uh surprise and, um, you know, pushing at those things that, that um, are, are a little bit, you know, taboo to, to make people laugh. And this is definitely doing that, but oh, wow. Um, you know, I'm, I, I will say, Chris, I am sorry that I missed this movie in 1998 because, It was probably very funny then. And I may have found it very funny then, especially sitting in a theater full of people laughing. Uh, But watching it for the first time in 2023 on my own. Oh, man. Uh, If this is part of the rage that you felt at me making you watch Empire Records, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm genuinely sorry. Um, because I am just filled with vitriol over uh, this film.
2: It's it's not just that. It also is like I think. about I, I wrote it down in my notes. I said, "How could I have found this funny at that time?" Um, because I remember these scenes. Everyone knows about the, the particular scenes, and I just I looked at them now, and I had the opposite reaction to what my memory told me. So you know, can you just imagine having been the person? who loved it at the time, and now goes, uh, wait, what? I, who say I, I that?
0: I only hope, Evan, that um, you get to experience the sheer number of people telling you that um, you're a dum-dum. Uh, for not liking this movie as I have gotten to experience, uh, from the number of people who now tell me that, um, empire records is their favorite movie ever. And how could I not get it? Uh, so it's a very interesting <laughs> experience, which I hope you get to share with me now, uh, now that you've had something from the past, which you didn't see and now have seen and didn't enjoy it. And I think, I think there, there is a lot to be said about, um, uh, the nostalgia of movies and the role that plays in our enjoyment of them. Um, and because I'll, I'll, I'll say rewatching this movie, not having seen it in probably um, tw- 20 years or, or something like that, um, that, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's definitely a lot more stuff where I was uh, cringing uh, through parts of it and feeling uncomfortable uh, watching it. I st- I still think there's a few bits where you're like, okay, that's funny i just wish i could lift that out of the other two hours that is this movie um but i mean that that is what it is right like i I think one of the interesting things to talk about is whether any um comedy or even i mean i think same same is true potentially of Empire records you know a thing that is just a vibe from an era that relies on you kind of being on the in on that how well that ages uh, and how well it's relatable to people at, at uh, you know a later date. If you're not experiencing it at that point in time and kind of part of it and understanding it, how good is it to pick up later? And I think that's where, you know, potentially for both of us, where the struggle lies in those movies, right? Um, well, uh, I think that's maybe uh, a good spot to take a break. Uh, and on the other side, uh, we can poke at Evan and make him angry
2: oh hey welcome
0: back so we're going to get into everything about something about mary uh spoiling as much of it as we can uh so for those of you who don't know or don't remember or just like to hear me talk about plots uh this movie follows a man named ted uh who uh hires a shady private investigator to track down his high school sweetheart. Uh, Things get complicated for Ted, though, as Healy and and an ever-growing number of men reveal their true feelings for Mary. So this movie revolves around Mary, who is played by Cameron Diaz, the it girl of the late 90s. How well do you think she lands in that kind of role uh, in this film?
2: amazingly well
1: yeah uh you know i I mean she's objectively she's a beautiful person and she is written i mean the thing she she's written to be so idealized you know she's so sweet and smart and kind and funny and uh you know also like loves sports and uh just wants to eat barbecue and uh really likes to wear uh button-up shirts that are way too tight across her chest uh, and also not wear a bra a lot and you know it's it's mary is so very much a a <laughs> uh, an ideal Woman written by men.
0: Uh, I, I, It's interesting because I've found, and again, this kind of goes back to if you think about it where it was at the time, I don't think she fell into the, uh, the character didn't fall into the um, manic pixie dream girl that we might see in other ones because she actually has a real job. Uh, and she is genuine in a lot of ways. She likes the things she likes and that's okay. It just, I think that's part of what it's intended to be that it becomes this like, um, you know, fish hook with bait on it for all these creepy, creepy dudes. Uh, and that yucky male gaze that you kind of experience throughout the movie. But I will say, I think sometimes very, very literally, like where Matt Dillon is just holding up binoculars and,
1: and staring at her
0: undressing. But I will say, Cameron Diaz in this role, I think is great. And I think it's very easy. Yeah, she's yeah, delightful. It's very easy to see why she becomes the anchor of this movie, because I, I think she plays, uh, whether the, the, the character itself is a little uh, weird or not, like she plays those beats perfectly. She's likable, she's entertaining,
2: she's intelligent. I think you're both right, because the, the of course the character is like ridiculously perfect, but Chris is also right to say that it's not the type of character you would have come across in these standard movies. So, you know, points for that. And also she's so infectious, like the, all the laughers and the jokes and I'm, I'm, you know, just effing with you. Like all of that is just brilliant. It's so believable. She's definitely one of the highlights of this movie.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think she is. And then that kind of ties us into the other two uh leading roles in this. So Matt Dillon and uh Ben Stiller. Um, like what what about those two characters and those two actors in, in this movie?
1: I like I Matt Dillon leans all the way in into sort of like scumbag PI, and and I thought he did a really good job of that. And Ben Stiller, you know, the one kind of half decent dude I guess in this movie question mark um yeah I mean there are there are, I I do have a lot of quibbles in terms of uh the way that um this film goes from being kind of just a very earnest film to then feeling like, uh, oh, okay, here we are going to do our comedic set piece. And um, that comedic set piece is going to feel like it's on Saturday Night Live. And we're kind of going to shoot it the same way. And then we're going to go back to it feeling kind of like a romantic comedy movie, and now we're going to have a set piece where, again, it feels like it's for a sketch show rather than sort of even the language of of the film that we're setting up in between. And because of that, I felt that some of the performance performances got um, kind of kind of jagged. That, that it felt sometimes like the the people were in two different movies.
2: Uh, I agree, and that the The whole separation of the characters themselves versus the acting—it's really hard to, to to kind of like keep those yes, in is, mind yeah. at the same time because I think that absolutely what you said about Matt Dillon—the fact that he leans into it so much—I just I think that's brilliant. The character is the most ridiculous character ever and does the most ridiculous things, um, and then the flip of that, then, then you have, um, then you have Keith David uh, when when Ted comes to meet the parents, who is like such a fun interesting different character but then like you say then you, now we have to put him in this scene that we've decided we're going to do and then he's got the most ridiculous thing around hey come and have a look at this come and have a look at this come and have a look at this and it just it's so inconsistent uh, all over the place uh, but I think that definitely what you said about the acting for those two I think is pretty good Ted's character I have a lot of issues with because it's all over the place at least Mathilde is consistent even though it's the worst. Yeah, I, character. I,
0: I will say that I, I actually find Ben Stiller in this movie. I remembered liking him more in the past than rewatching it. I'm like, I don't like, I don't like Ted. Like he's, he's such a, uh, um throwaway yucky leftover character it's hard to like be like i want ted to win and again that's probably the passage of time where you're like it's really creepy what you're doing man like this is w- weird and you're stalkerish and not an okay thing to be thinking about in 2023 um i will say it was interesting uh as i was seeing some of the like casting close calls uh for that role because for ben stiller this was one of his first real acting roles he'd been doing some directing and stuff before that uh i mean reality bite stands out as a movie that he'd been in prior to this but this is one of his first kind of like big leading uh comedic roles obviously goes on to do a whole bunch of uh other stuff including you know um um zoolander and some other stuff not too long after this but some other. Yeah, well, like Meet the Parents, which I think is maybe the highest grossing comedy of all time, potentially. uh, The Hangover movies are up there above it and some others as well. Yeah, It's definitely up there as well. Um, But like, yeah, this was nearly uh, Owen Wilson or Jon Stewart as Ted in this movie, which I think could have been interesting. Uh, I could especially have seen Owen Wilson in this role back in, you know, 1998. That feels just about right i'd be curious what you you'd think if it was somebody else who'd been in that ted role
1: i don't know i mean oh is i i think i think ben stiller is uh you know a a great comedic actor um a, and uh you know shout out to uh, to a fellow uh, uh irish jewish heritage guy um owen wilson yeah maybe maybe too handsome for the role. Not that Ben Stiller's a bad-looking dude, but like Owen Wilson maybe too handsome for for this role. Like you you kind of want uh you know if if you've got somebody that good-looking as the Ted character, like how much more good-looking does Mary have to be? You know, the, like it feels like there there needs to be that, that dichotomy. I don't know that I could have. I'm sure that they would have put Owen Wilson in great teenage makeup. But Ben Stiller with, the, you know, the mullet and the acne and the braces. Uh, I, I don't see Owen Wilson carrying that off as well.
2: No, I think Ben Stiller in this was he did a, an amazing job. I think that so many of the people in this movie they were limited by the script and what the characters are supposed to be in that moment. But I think he did a terrific job leaning into that. Like, it's all very funny. It's just, it makes no sense. His journey, what he goes through and how he has to act so different in different times. But Whenever he's asked to step up to the plate, I think he does a, a great job.
0: Yeah, I think uh, he does a pretty good job in this movie, too. I just I I don't love the character of Ted uh, more than I think uh, I have issues with Ben Stiller. Um, and yeah. I, I think for me, that kind of ties it into I mean, you're already poking at it, Evan, is like the, the narrative arc of this story. I, I will say one of the things for me is I find most comedies are really just set up as a bunch of funny bits. And then we have to find just enough, you know, narrative rope to connect all of them. You know, I I wouldn't say that's dissimilar from a 40 year old Virgin or, you know, any Seth Rogen movie or whatever. There's just certain bits that I think they, they create and then connect the dots on how to get to maybe not as well crafted stories. Maybe they do a better job of it, you know, 10 or 15 years later, but how much does that narrative arc kind of feel like a bumpy roller coaster ride for each of you as you watch through this movie?
2: It's a good question. I actually think when you mention it like that, I think you're right. Like someone thought about the structure. Someone thought about stuff like here's the thing that happened in the past. Past now, I'm going to look up Mary. and find out these things, and then and you tell that simultaneous story of what's going on with the Dylan character. And then the, the trip down to Florida and the things that happened, like they, someone thought about the structure and then kind of said, oh, what could we throw in here to make it funny? But I actually think the structure is there now. How I felt it watching it, I I, I don't think that it worked. It just, it was all over the place. But I do think that there's a structure and maybe like you say, more so in some, some other movies uh, that have been very popular since.
1: Yeah, you know... The the one of the things that I had a lot of difficulty with in this movie was you know you know that that it is a comedy and it is ostensibly I mean it's a comedy without jokes like there there is no there are no jokes in this movie really it is it is very and 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 I think that maybe this is a deliberate thing but it is so earnest and and sort of very kind of sweet up until those points that you have these these comedic set pieces that it's usually um supposed to be very shocking. He's got his dick stuck in the zipper or Matt Dillon thinks he's going to be looking at, uh, Cameron Diaz's boobs, but it's the old lady's boobs. And, you know, or it's the dog has, uh, you know, gone into a coma and Matt Dillon is trying to revive it with, uh, with the, the, uh, lamp wires. It just, it, it felt like, um, the the directors were very deliberately going, OK, we're going to have this very sort of earnest kind of thing so that when we then show uh, a dick stuck in the zippers or a pair of withered boobs or a cute dog being vicious and biting somebody on the crotch, that that's going to be so juxtaposed. It's already like whoa, this is already Beyond the Pale for 1998, but it's going to be like crazy because the audience will be expecting this and then we're going to give them this. And that it just did not land with me. It's it the 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 space between the comedic set pieces, which I don't think hold up, period anyway, is so long and drags so much and is so unfunny that it just made me sad
0: and angry. Yeah, and you Don't know, it's so <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's interesting you say that about the uh, comedy without jokes, because the literally the one uh, laugh out loud moment I had was when he picks up the hitchhiker and they're having this conversation about the uh, seven minute workout. And then he suggests six and he just has this reaction like, what do you mean? What do you mean six now? Six could never work. And that that moment was so funny to me. It's not really a joke. It's just the absurdity of it. And I could sort of like imagine a movie that pulled that off more where you had these things that aren't, you know, not an obvious setup for for a joke. They're just weird connecting all these things that you said, but a different movie it could have yeah, been.
1: Yeah. I don't have to imagine that movie because it was made and it's called Anchorman. Like it's, you know, like and to, to Chris's point, like this, you know, this movie, like when we talked about Enter the Dragon, like this movie has a, a probably a very much an outsized footprint for what it did to the movie, you know, itself. It's like, OK, if this movie really helped launch, uh, you know, the, the, the comedy conversation forward in filmmaking and we get, you know, the Judd Apatow stuff and the, you um, know, uh, Point being is that uh, I hate this movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think part of this goes back to uh, there's a bit of a struggle in the connect the dot scenes, which again, I would go back to that's true of almost every comedy I ever watch. You know, you just referenced, uh, you know, um, uh, Anchorman and whatever, you know, a a bunch of those other movies that would follow in, in the early 2000s. And I struggle with the same thing. There's funny lines. I don't necessarily love the movies, especially going back and watching them now. Um, But I think one of the things that is, Perhaps even that much more divisive. Uh, if we were to um, hand this to our, um, you know, Gen Z uh, test group, uh, let's call them uh, Zane and Skylar, and we said, "Hey, Zane and Skylar, do you want to go watch this movie?" Uh, like, how high on the offended uh, the offendometer do you think Zane and Skylar would come back uh, and say this movie was?
1: I don't know that they would be like oh my god it's so offensive. I think they might be more along my lines and be like this movie's not funny. And it it just like really like this is this is what had this is what comedy was in the late 90s. Oof. No wonder you Gen Xers fucking suck.
2: I I actually agree. I think that is a the biggest crime that this one has. Yes, it is highly offensive. Yes, it's got stereotypes that you could not do today. But the biggest defense is that it's just not funny now. I think I, I object more to that than the than the stereotypes themselves, although I object to that too. But but, but I, I still would like to run that as a social experiment to see what would people say. Because um, I have no idea. Like, such a different perspective. The combination of having watched it at the time versus coming in fresh now and having grown up in a different era, like... It's it's all factors uh, that kind of go into
0: this. Yeah, it is it is it is an interesting one because the Farrelly brothers, when they wrote this, uh, I mean, so, a number of things in this movie are based off of real life. So the the uh, junk caught in a zipper was actually based on a real life thing that happened to one of their friends, and the dad who was a doctor had to go in and sort it out. It didn't get as dramatic as what happens in the movie, but it's a real thing. Um, their next door neighbor was a guy with a intellectual disability named Warren who actually appears in the movie. So, I mean, they're basing a lot of this off of real stuff. And it feels like for 1998, they were touching on a lot of those subjects in a way that was probably um, funny, but thoughtful for 1998, not so much for 2023. Uh, So I think there's a sense of like um, honesty and thoughtfulness that probably felt pretty good at the time, but... mm, is great now. I don't think so. I I don't know how do we how do we get that group going. Well, you know, I I think that that you're
1: right there, Chris, and and it's one of the things that I do like that the Fairley brothers, you know, were were using actors with disabilities. What I didn't like, and and again, this is 1998 is a different time, so you're not going to go for the authenticity of you know really. Having, you know, a a character who actually has crutches like that, uh, you know, or, um, and granted, Tucker, the character of Tucker uh, is actually faking his injuries. But, you know, he goes full Jerry Lewis on those crutches at at one point. And it, it really does feel like a lot of that comedy ends up kind of punching down and yeah, uh, it would be funnier
0: if you knew he, in advance that he was like faking it as opposed to finding out yeah. after where they're just playing it for laughs because look at him wobble
1: yeah and and uh you know the the uh character of warren so w Earl brown um i think he does it does a good job of of playing that part but i Again, you know, it, it feels like that part is you know, they that that they're they're punching down a bit. There is there it is done with love and you can kind of yeah. tell that, but it just still doesn't feel great. By that's exactly it.
0: I think I think the standard for where it was in 98 was beyond where most movies were able to get to. And the standard for 2023 is it's behind where most movies are able to get to. (laughs) Yeah, totally agree. And I think I think one of the other things that hasn't aged that well about this movie in terms of uh, the story and the plot, and we've already kind of touched on it, but like, this is a creepy movie. This is about a bunch of dudes who have turned this one kind of delightful, wonderful woman into like a a fetish, uh, into an object of their weird, weird behaviors. Uh, And like, again, a thing that I don't think holds up as well in 2023, like just a sense of stalkery, creepy, weird shoe stealing creepiness well
1: also there's that sense of
0: it, not just the the
1: stalker ring stalking stalking but uh the level of male entitlement in it is really off-putting in 2023. You know, it's that kind of thing where, you know, at the end where they're like, well, Mary, you need to pick, you need to like, you need to pick one of us because obviously it's got to be one of us. You need to, you need to pick one of us and we're demanding that you pick one of us. And it's that sense of just that, yeah, that, that entitlement is so gross looking back on it now. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that people didn't think much about it in 1998. I'm glad we've gotten to a point, uh, 25
0: years later where, uh maybe people are. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I think one of the things about that kind of, um, you know, uh, demanding, imposing, uh, male questions is even how this movie ends, but maybe it's, time to take a quick break and we can talk about the ending of this movie uh quickly on the other side we'll be right back back so i think one of the interesting things about this movie is indeed how it ends where mary is confronted by uh, a whole swarm of uh weird creepy uh b- dudes brett Favre, uh who seems to be fine uh and uh ben stiller characters who, who is i don't know maybe the second least creepy out of those is it like would this movie have wrapped up better if she just was like I'm just going to burn this place down and run away from all of you, uh, rather than actually picking somebody Ted in this case, um, out of that bunch of creepos. I mean, it's probably what made would
1: have made the most amount of sense. Were she, uh, a, an actual person, but it's a romantic comedy, right? And so you've got to get that, uh, that nice little bit at the end and and then shoot one of the musicians.
2: Yeah. And I think also that would only have worked if this was uh, Mary's amazing adventure, but it was Ted's amazing journey. Like that's, it's his story. So if she had done that at the end, it, it would have broken that arc. All of a sudden, like we're now going to care for her and she's the heroes like I, I think that wouldn't have worked although that could have been a much better movie. i think
0: it could have too i think there's something about mary from mary's perspective could have been uh either either it could have been a much funnier movie or it could have been an updated version of vertigo uh yeah i, I think it's a horror yeah, movie. yeah i i mean as you find out, all the men in your life are actually plotting against you. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, I think the one thing about this movie too that that I found interesting is, uh, and not surprisingly, with the brother, Fairly Brothers and um, uh, their their writing, you know this this movie is half written. You know, we've got the the big set scenes and the key things to get out of it, but also kind of half improvised, which sets up a number of the the folks in the movie to do um, some interesting and entertaining. Stuff right there are there are some
1: performances here, um, you know, little ones that are that are kind of entertaining. You've got Richard Jenkins as as um, Ben Stiller's therapist, and Jeffrey Tambor as uh, Matt Dillon's uh, compatriot in in Miami, and uh, Harlan Williams as the as the hitchhiker. Um, and and yeah i guess they're doing some fun stuff with the improv maybe that's also kind of why everything's feel so flat in between the big comedic set pieces cuz it's hard to improv and you know they're they're just not going for big jokes i don't know i i i just i i don't care about any of these characters
2: but but also the the people that you listed and and there's uh, sarah silverman on top of that oh, like right. there's They're they're so underused. They could be so good at this because that's what they do, and and we've seen them all in in some terrific performances. They just go like, where they downplay it so much that it's so incredibly funny. Yet here it's just like you're giving them nothing to work with, or you're letting them speak for 15 seconds. So it's kind of like, again, like I think that's more the issue than than so much of the stuff. Yeah, I
0: I will say that I already found this movie was too long at two hours, so I didn't really need more of anybody else. I kind of actually needed a little bit less and for this to be a little bit of a tighter story and uh, a little bit shorter movie. But uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely the case uh, for me. I think one of the things too, that is a little bit weird about this movie uh, is those musicians who pop in throughout. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about those
1: musicians and the music choices. Um, Cause first off, like, Okay, I think we can all agree that Paddington did like this conceit way better than there's something about Mary. There's Something about Mary did it first, but Paddington perfected it. And also, uh, did anyone else find like the lip sync and the drum sync of the, the sync of the musicians
2: like way off?
1: Like, like it was
2: it was painfully off and. Also, I think because they knew that they were doing it that way, the singer guitar player, he completely overdid his, his gestures, but I I actually thought it was a pretty clever thing to introduce. Uh, It's like you say, it was first. And then I agree with you about Paddington, but by ways of Flight of the Concourse, because they kind of also would do that where they're just breaking into sort of a singing number and then it's just completely normal and they go back to, to whatever. Um, So I'm, It was one of those things that didn't make any sense. I'm kind of glad it was there. Yeah, I had issues with the sinking. But again, on a relative basis, they were probably pretty good compared to everything else going on. I don't know. Uh, But what does
1: it add to the story? Like, what does does it... Aside from being, you know, sort of a little bit of, I guess, some narrative tissue, uh, what does having, like, fourth-wall-breaking musicians...
0: Help I, I don't like, know what I, does I just, having fourth wall breaking record store employees help. Yeah, uh, touche. I'm just saying,
2: man. <laughs> touche. And and not and not to mention, so like so we already mentioned, you know, Flight of the Concords, Paddington, Rango, Dustus, um with the uh with the band that speaks directly to the camera, you know, about the hero who will uh, ultimately die. And it's just all of this. Uh it works. It just these guys were the first ones. Applaud, applaud them for that. It wasn't very successful, but it set the stage, paved the, the road, etc., etc., for all these other things. Too, Rango
0: too. is a deep cut there, Michael.
1: That is a deep, oh deep cut. <laughs> Wow. But, it, you know, speaking of the music itself, did anyone else find the music choices odd? I, I, I'm not sure how much I loved uh, using Brazil for the the dog sort of uh, 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 shocking scene or like summertime for throwing the, the speed filled dog biscuits up into the apartment. It just, it, it just seemed kind of, I don't know, weird and wacky and wacky in, in a a tonally, a tonally different way. I, I think it's one of those other things that made me feel like, these comedic set pieces were very much like of another movie than the connective
2: tissue. I also think it's funny because I'm I'm about to give a reference now that is such an illustration of this with nostalgia, because one of the tracks in here was from Lloyd Cole, who's a British uh, musician. And he's always done this very sort of nostalgic, uh, U.S. fruit 66 type of music. And that is in a way ridiculous, but because I grew up with that at that time, that really strikes a, a nerve for me. And I was like, Oh wow, this is such a good track. And then I'm sold on that. If this makes sense. It doesn't matter if it makes sense or not in the context, but it just, I like it because I was there when it happened. I grew up with it. So, you know, like it's, it's a, a, an element sort of of showing how nostalgia and being there at the time really makes a difference in, in the enjoyment. Yeah.
0: I, I, I find it to be an interesting question because I just, I, I didn't really notice the music. I didn't find it jarring or disruptive or, out of, but it just was, I was fine with it. I didn't like, no, not, not a bonus for like awesome choices or anything, but I also didn't find it jarring or out of place. I did find the musicians a bit weird, especially when they were regularly out of sync and not playing the instruments as the instruments were being played. And like that kind of stuff was definitely a little off. Like there's a drum sound, but the drummer isn't drumming. Okay. That's weird. Uh But you kind of, pointed at it, uh, there, Evan is like, I think the, the one thing that we do have to talk about, um, in this movie is those set pieces, right? The, the way Roger Ebert described it was, uh, uh, there's something about Mary is an unalloyed exercise in bad taste and contains five or six explosively funny sequences. How do you feel about those five or six explosively funny sequences? How about we start with Michael because I know Evan is going to hate them. So, Michael, how did you feel about the five or six?
2: I hated them. (laughs) I I had such a strong memory of loving them, so I was really looking forward to each of them kind of coming up because I I knew they were coming, and instead, I just had like a big groan thing, Um, and and it was very hard for me because, like I said, I had to reconcile this idea that you know I was a person who loved everything about this. And now I'm like, I I, I don't see it. I don't, I don't recognize it. So no, I, I did not. Like, I thought they were terrible, all of them. Everything from the hook to the scrotum to the uh, hair gel to the wrestling the dog. Like, it's just dumb. Resuscitating the, the dog with you know electrical cables. It's just idiotic.
1: So uh, I'm with Michael, but I will bring, uh, some positivity to this. Uh, I thought that, um, the execution of the physical comedy in this, and, and we have to say that like, this is like these comedic set pieces are straight up slapstick. Absolutely. And, and I think that, that as slapstick, uh, at that time, they're like, they are they are well executed. The, the the physical comedy is very well executed. And that makes me wonder then that if that's part of sort of the secret sauce of this film's success is that it was very transgressive at the time. So that makes for funny things. But that kind of lack of actual like language jokes, um, but really big physical comedy then translates very 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 well internationally. You know, I'm I'm sure that that uh, Ben Stiller getting uh, bitten in the crotch by a small dog was was being laughed at in theaters around the world, no matter what language anybody spoke. And so that I think was that I think is is an impressive feat. All of that said. I don't think any of that translates particularly well
0: now. And I was
1: not laughing during any of those parts. That's fascinating. I,
0: I, I mean, I, I didn't, uh, love revisiting this movie, but I'm definitely the outlier here where I was like, look again, you know, nostalgia and whatever, a few of those, uh, set comedy, um, you know, bits, uh, were still funny to me. Like, I still enjoyed those. I don't love uh, 80% of the movie was kind of waiting for the big scenes to get back to like, kind of like you were saying, Michael, like, I know, I know what's coming next. I kind of remember what goes, goes in here. Um, So I still love, like, I still, I think there's a certain sense of like, where everybody gets a little squirmy at the idea of zipping your junk up in your zipper, uh, whether you love, I'm like, okay, I remember how much I loved this when I was, you know, 20 years old or whatever, watching this, like, okay, yeah, there's still a little bit of something there for me. Uh, the part that makes me laugh out loud when they're going to put him in the ambulance and the, uh, uh, the stretcher actually like collapses and like smashes him into the ground. That wasn't even supposed to be in there. That was an accident that actually happened while they were, um, like filming it and like they just carried on with them like okay there's still stuff that makes me laugh about that um yeah i mean i i think some of these are uh less successful now i don't love all of them but there's definitely a few things in there which um still gave me uh some 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 chuckles and did did entertain me but yeah i i I can definitely hear what you're saying about part of the reason why this did succeed is like i think everybody felt that like ouchy cringy moment zipping up your junk. I think everybody would get that wherever, wherever you are in the world without having to worry about subtitles or whatever, which don't convey comedy in the same way. So it's easy to see how how this thing gets going. And I think in the same way that later on, you've got like the hangover, uh, where a lot of the, the humor is just like these over the top situations, which would translate regardless of, of language barriers.
1: So this has been really interesting, Chris, because I feel like me watching this movie was like you watching the Enter the Dragon and Empire Records, um, where you know the you didn't love the fight sequences in Enter the Dragon anymore, but appreciated what they were at the time.
2: So look, going into this, we we kind of said you know half jokingly but pretty seriously gonna to try to find uh, something kind of like, possible everything we do so like for each of you what 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 would you say I mean for positivity
1: I I think that that there's some really well executed slapstick here and uh, like uh, enter the dragon was for like martial arts maybe this was for comedy. Um, and it, it sort of launches the things that I like, but I'm not super into the source material, I guess, if that makes sense.
2: Like for me, I think you really have to respect it. It's so funny that you that you mentioned Anchorman because you can really kind of trace the lineage and you can just admire the importance a move like this had in terms of staking up new ground and showing what's possible. I think that is hugely important in any genre, any any field. But I also think, like, in terms of the the actors that were in it and what they've been able to do and the the, the recognition they got, like, I think that's, that's really, really good. I just didn't care for coming back to... Like, I didn't enjoy it now the way I did then. So for me, I think I probably feel a little bit of, you know, loss around that. But I think it is well worth kind of calling out especially if you're studying this stuff and you're interested in the evolution to go back and look at it just from, from that perspective.
0: Yeah. I, I feel, um, exactly like that, where I, I, I think this was a pretty, um, seminal movie in the development of kind of what we see as North American comedies that have evolved over the last pun
1: intended. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, it is now I want to take credit for that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely where it's headed in the same way that, you know, um, the Sopranos laid the framework for a lot of, you know, TV dramas uh, and HBO shows and whatever that have come since the the format and the pacing and the structure and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I know lots of people who go back and watch The Sopranos for the first time are like, uh, I don't know, I don't love it. It's not as good as all these other shows that came after. Well, yeah right i mean those shows came after for for a reason right um so uh, i i don't i mean i'm i'm a little bit of a mixed bag like i still found there was moments i didn't uh hate rewatching this movie uh from my youth but i also didn't love it this isn't my warm and cozy and fuzzy uh comedy blanket like i think it uh uh, empire records was for, for Evan. Uh, but this is a movie I did watch a whole bunch, uh, back in the day. And I was very curious how it would stand up, especially understanding, um, kind of what, what followed over the next kind of 25 years after this, this came out, but yeah, definitely, uh, not in love with it now. Um, so, I mean, I guess that brings us to, uh, a question for, for each of you before we wrap up here, uh, for the folks who haven't seen this movie, who have missed out on it, till today uh i'm guessing i know your answers but is this a movie that you think folks uh who have missed it should go back and watch or is this something they should just miss
1: no no go 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 spend your time doing something better don't 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 unless unless you are a student of comedy and you are trying to see uh a, a specific evolution of comedic filmmaking in american cinema uh yeah, sure. Then, but oh man, just don't, don't waste your time.
2: I I couldn't recommend it to anyone either, unless for that reason. Um, like it just is exactly like it said. There, there are other movies out there to watch, unless someone said, you know, you, we should watch this together for these reasons, and I'm going to tell you what they are before, and I'm going to explain. Like, sure. But no, I, I couldn't recommend
0: this. Yeah, I'm, on, I'm there with both of you, too. If this is a movie that you haven't seen and didn't grow up with, uh, it probably uh, isn't one that you need to go back to. I think there's better Ben Stiller movies. Uh, I think there's better comedies that probably followed in the, the years that followed uh, this that are, you know, better and funnier and uh, hold up a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, this is probably one that was worth uh, skipping. So there you go. Uh, That's what we thought about. There's something about Mary. Uh, We'd love to know what you thought about this movie and whether you are as angry at me as Evan is. Uh, You can find us on Twitter and send me your hate mail there. at how did you miss this? That's H-D-Y-M-T underscore pod. And while you're there, take a look at some of the other movies we're planning on watching soon and send us any questions you might have and whether you're going to firebomb my house. Uh, If you enjoy what we're doing here, take a second to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening and we're going to be back next week when we'll be watching Michael's movie, Jacob's Ladder to see if we can unravel the mystery in that movie or whether it's a movie that should stay missed. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you then.